This is Subconscious Mind Mastery Podcast Number 6. The continuing story of my friend, Dr. David Slater, who had a skydiving accident in College Station, Texas, when he was a sophomore in college, swung on power lines for about 20 seconds and lived to tell about it. Dr. Slater, welcome back. Thank you, Thomas. Good to be back. Where we left the last episode, and by the way, if you're picking us up here, you're in the middle of a sequel of stories that might even go to a third one. I'm not sure. We'll just let it go where it goes. But if you didn't listen to the first one, please do, because that's the only way that you'll have a context of what we're going to be talking about. I want to keep our podcasts to around 20 minutes so that it's just more convenient for you to listen to. And so we just stopped there as David Slater had recovered in the hospital, had completed his undergraduate degree, and then was starting to look around at what might not be next in his life. Pick it up from there. Well, as I got better and realized pretty much no limitations, which is an amazing thing considering I'd gone from, uh, you know, getting last rites twice, actually, uh, once when I first got to the hospital and then again a couple of months later as I just wasn't doing that well. But I get out of uh, uh, Parkland and then um, recovered at home for a while, then back to A&M, finished my degree in finance, off to the business world. And as the years went by, I decided to reevaluate my wish to become a doctor. And um, so I went over to UT Southwestern and met with the dean of student affairs and said, I'm almost 30 years old. You really think this is a good thing for me to do? And he kind of laughed and he said, David, because how many people have you met in your life that are doing what they really want to do? You're one in a hundred? He goes, if you're supposed to be a doctor and you don't do it, you'll suffer. He goes, so yeah, perfectly fine to return. You'll take it more seriously. It's all good. So I picked up my sciences. Uh, I've always been a, a good student and, um, and, re, and, and applied. And of course, uh, all went well and I got into medical school. It's kind of an interesting thing, uh, uh, you know, medical school is a crazy place. I could tell you lots of stories about things that happen behind the scenes. Almost everything that you've heard about, it's true. Uh, good stuff. I got out of uh, medical school and uh, did my residency in family practice. And interestingly enough, at some point I found myself, uh, you know, divorced, broke, unhappy, and unhealthy. And pretty tough deal certainly a fate that that many of my co-workers had happened to them too much work and not enough uh work on relationships uh we all many many people suffer from that yes and i thought wow you know here i am uh with no family with no children with no with no job with no nothing how could i get here i mean i'm a hard-working guy i'm capable and i've been tested i've been through so much and as I was sitting there feeling, I wouldn't say sorry for myself, but just devastated, uh, again, like, like so many people, you know, have faced. And I thought, but I've, I've done so much. I mean, I even learned to walk again. And then I thought, that may not really be true. It may be, a, it may be an exaggeration. What really happened, it wasn't me dragging my crying ass out of bed to go to physical therapy every day or to the scrub tank or to surgery. Uh, much of the time, it was my Norwegian nurse, Minga, who had a 
She was very attractive and had a bad attitude. <laughs> and she would Perfect pull me for out. Perfect burn unit, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody asked me what I wanted to do today. I, I, they made me. And I sat there in this sentinel moment as life was so bad. And I thought, wow, my greatest achievements in life came when I, uh, A, shut up, and B, subjected myself to a team, a crew of other people. And that was how I was able to walk again. Determination, hard work, willpower, these are things that we emphasize, and they're wonderful, but technically speaking, it wasn't my willpower that got me out of bed. At some point, I was encouraged and wanted to go, but nobody waited for me to to want to do it. And I thought, wow, this is an interesting moment. So much of our lives, we're told that our futures are what we make of it, and... uh, and I don't think that's true. And so what I decided to do then was to recreate the circumstances under which I had recovered from such a devastating uh, accident, but to do so in my personal life and to, to recreate a crew of people who would help and guide me. And so that was what I did. And for the next two years, I didn't do really anything without running it by the crew. Um, and the very last thing that I did on the list was something that I had promised to do in December of 1977 when they told me that I would I would never walk again. And I was looking, as I said in the last podcast, I was looking at Steven Spielberg's ad on TV for his new movie called Close Encounters. It wasn't called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That The name was changed later, but it was called Close Encounters. And it showed an ad for Devil's Tower or Devil's Tower was in the ad for the movie. Devil's Tower is this flat-top volcanic core that's in northeast Wyoming and certainly a favorite place of of climbers, rock climbers. And so in this recovery phase of two years of rebuilding my life, the last thing that I did on the list uh, was to to climb Devil's Tower, essentially a a 900-foot face climb, uh, technical climbing. You know, I had a pro on the lead, and I was second on the rope. And I climbed up to the top of it and uh, got to admit I cried like a baby for about uh, five minutes after I got there. And then there's a, in the, in the middle of the top of Devil's Tower, there's a pile of rocks. <clears throat> and buried in the rocks is a steel canister. And uh, if you open it up, it's got a leather-bound logbook of all the people who climbed Devil's Tower and what they signed. And so I signed that and I thought, you know, wow, what a, what an amazing experience that this has been. And interestingly enough, everybody that was in the group that we climbed with that day were people who were overcoming some incredible personal tragedy in life, whether it was a divorce or loss of a business or recognition, even about one lady who was 50-something years old uh, had come to grips with her, in fact, actual sexuality. She was from New Zealand and quite wealthy and had lived a lie for many many years and now was done with it but that it was almost like a uh, it was almost like a one of the, a play the people at the bed and breakfast talking about all the things that they were overcoming um, even the guy that was in charge of the bed and breakfast was celebrating five years of sobriety and an amazing an amazing experience almost and, a spiritual uh, experience a completely absolutely completely and we were all like the people in the movie Close Encounters who all had this this desire to go to you know that 
they, they see Devil's Tower, and as you remember from the movie, Richard Dreyfus kept building Devil's Tower out of potatoes and clay and, and all of that. It was almost like that. We were driven to go climb there, thinking that they would that the catharsis would outweigh the risk. And I, I have to admit, that was my experience, and I think that it did. And as I came back to real life, I began to think about all of these things that, that were taught and told about how to make your, your life better and how to make it different. And, of course, that's what I'm writing my book about. I think that many of the principles that we've been taught are wonderful at the national level, fantastic at a large group level. But when it gets to the individual, we don't modify them in the way that we should. And so that's, that's what I'm writing about is how to develop your ability to recognize when you can and can't do something and then how to get help. And so uh, since I'm a doctor and treat a lot of patients in the past 10 years, I've treated some 50,000 patient visits. So I've got my finger on the pulse of the average person, let me tell you. And the average person has a very limited ability for some reason, which I will explain, very limited ability to recognize when they're out of their league on achieving something and that highly successful people have a different view and I've been starting to interview them fascinating what do you mean by that well when you talk to people and again just from a medical standpoint you talk to somebody say about losing weight and they say well I know what I know what I need to do I just need to do it I've got to buckle down get my head around it I've got to, got to get back to the gym. I've got to eat right. All this kind of stuff, which would suggest that their knowledge is fairly decent. They know like, what they need to do. Kind of like a to-do list almost. Sure. But then you have the other side of it where they, you know, they say they've got to want it. You know, you've got to want it. got to want it bad. And I thought, wow, if that was my standard for learning to walk again, I'd still be bedridden. I didn't want to get out of bed. It hurt. These people have got these health issues, and there's a whole list. Weight is just one, but they've got all these things. They said, I need to work. We need to quit smoking. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm going to have to quit. I'm going to have to quit. i got to want to quit. It's like, no, you don't. How about if I grab that cigarette out of your hand? That would help. You've got another one right behind you, it. I'd break your wrist. You wouldn't be able to smoke. I mean, there's a million ways you could you could do it, but these people are under the impression that they have to cause the change. And that's kind of the standard of self-help in, in a, that we all ascribe to, which is you've got to want it. And I think that that, you know, I think that's good advice and all of those polite things to say. But I'm glad I didn't rely on that. I want to go back and, and pick up on one part of your initial story from the last podcast. Mm-hmm. You mentioned when you were on the lines, you had a near-death experience. I did. And you chose to come back. Yes, I was offered a choice in the most spiritual way possible, I suppose, that I could either die or I could make a full recovery. So would you think that part of your recovery process might be destiny? uh, That's interesting, like a purpose. Like you can't avoid it almost. It's part of your deal. It's almost your life contract. I was talking to to a, a person some time ago about this and she said that that while your being born may have been a gift from God to your parents your recovery is a gift from God to you that you may do his work in a manner you do not yet know wow 
Yeah. Interesting way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, so then how does that fit with people who have not had a similar experience? Let's say that we somebody who does not have that destiny to say, I can lean on this and I'll be OK. Don't know what it looks like. Don't understand the process, but I'm going to be all right. There, there was a line from the Waltons back in the 70s where John Boy Walton said something about, I think people pretty much get what they want out of life. They just have to avail themselves to it. That was from the Waltons, something along those lines, but I remember it here a million years later. I think that the secret to success is recognizing that you have a given list of talents and abilities and that if you open yourself up to some guidance, you can make miraculously important changes. The problem is that for some reason what we teach people is that they have to want to change. I mean, don't you do 50 things every day that you don't want to do? I do. And so why would we take the most important part of your life, your your improving future, and subject that to a standard that you'd have to want it to be better? I think what you'd have to do is to say, what I'm doing isn't working, so I'm done. I'm going to let somebody else guide me for a while, and I'm not going to put in too much input. So then isn't that one of the greatest challenges is getting people to, as you would kind of say, turn over the keys, let somebody else drive? Yeah, they're not trained in it. But we're also reluctant to let go. That's what every self-help book says, is that you're going to have to, you know, let go, let God, uh, all of this kind of turning it over. But we're just not trained in it. So when we need that skill, the ability to pull back from the wheel, we don't have it. And so then how do you, I mean, as a doctor, I treat approximately 5,000 patient visits a year, and I've got their charts. So I had a patient in here just this past week. She weighs 285 pounds, and she's, whatever, 5'7". And and she's telling me about how she knows what she needs to do. She just needs to do it. And you look at her chart. It goes back eight years on the computer, and she weighed 280. So not getting very far no but just from a from a objective standpoint the question would be why does she still think that she can do it i mean at what point do you recognize you don't have the talent and this is amazing to me because you know i was like that i couldn't change course i know what i need to do i just need to do it all the way to disasterville and so the question that I've had, and I'm sure all of the listeners have, is, well, yeah, you got to want to change. Really? That, that's the standard? And then the other one that just, just kills me is all the discussion about willpower. you got to have the willpower. Oh, yeah, sure, right. You think there's people with low willpower, high willpower, blah, blah, blah. So you just get to say, I have low willpower. Please lower your expectations of me. As a, as a doctor and as a person has, who's met literally tens of thousands of people I don't think there's a big difference in willpower I think that the sm- that small differences can go a long way but when I hear about some homeless guy who saves somebody from a burning car it doesn't surprise me I think we all have it in us and when I hear about uh, who is it Randy Travis the singer right <laughs> some personal problems next thing you know he's drunk and naked by the side of the road uh huh 
I think that we're all, you know, seven turns away from living under a bridge or running a corporation. I think that, that people have got backbone, strength, willpower, willpower, and abilities, and that circumstances can make the most of it or ruin it. But I, just my opinion, you know, I'm not planning on, you know, getting a degree in psychology, but there's learned behavioral issues behavioral issues, things like that. But I think that most people have solid willpower. You bet. I mean, don't we all know 10 people that are tougher than Lance Armstrong? I mean, when it gets right down to it, your ability to make things happen is a combination of continued effort uh, and circumstances. But that bump for you in the second time in that midpoint in your life was that you put a team of people together and you said, I I can't figure this out. I'm done. Help me. Right. Right. I, I looked at it like I'm going to get more mileage out of recognizing what I can't do than by continuously believing that I can. And so that's what I did in the hospital. I didn't. Nobody was telling me, well, David, we're not going to take you to physical therapy because you don't want to go today. That would have been devastating. And they didn't say, well, you know, we need, to, we need to work on this, we need to work on that. What do you want to do? Nobody did that. So for years, I functioned on the basis of having people guide and direct me. But for some reason, I'd gotten away from that. And then, as many of, you know, many people do, their lives get out of sorts, and you stand around going, well, what do I do now? Well, I know what I need to do. I just need to do it. I think you're better off going, you know, what I'm doing isn't working. I recognize that, and that's the most important part of progress that there is. And so the next step would be, who do I turn to? How did that process affect the programming of your subconscious mind? We know where your conscious mind was through all of this. Take us under now down to that deep realm, that compass that drives you. How did your subconscious get reprogrammed through all of this? I suppose the most important thing was that I realized that I could kind of do anything that I put my mind to. So I had that, but I also knew that my life wasn't where I wanted it to be. So I was willing to say, at least under the current circumstances, I either lack the talent the inclination, the resources. I lack something. So until I can pin that down, I'm not going to make every decision in my life. And so I did, at that time, what I had done as a patient. As I, you know, turning to the doctor, and turning to the physical therapist, turning to the crew, and I said, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And of course, it's kind of funny, but I always knew when they were wrong. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. They say, well, you need to take a walk every day. And I'm thinking, oh, what if it's raining? Because you were programmed a certain way. <laughs> That's interesting because the release then for you was at that point of surrender where you said, I'm going to let somebody else program me. That's exactly the point. That's Yeah, awesome. the last guy that I wanted to trust was me. Was you. And yeah, I would but, imagine that you were going to expound and elaborate on this in great detail in your upcoming book and on your website and the material that we're going to be seeing coming from you. Give us the website again. DrDavidSlater.com. Thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate it. This has been an awesome conversation, and I hope it certainly has inspired those of you who have been listening to it. Thank you, Thomas. Won't be the last we hear from you on this website, I know, for sure. No, I'll be back many times.
And thank you for joining us on the podcast of SubconsciousMindMastery.com. The opinions on this podcast are those of the host based on personal experience only and are not intended as medical or psychological advice. If you are experiencing symptoms that require professional treatment, please contact a licensed medical practitioner. The stories and opinions expressed on this podcast are independently those of the host and guests and are not intended to be taken as medical advice or to replace medical care from a licensed professional when appropriate.